Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the TSC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about health heuristics. We start by defining what heuristics are, how they can be beneficial when it comes to health, and their potential to simplify decisions for a lot of people. We list off some heuristics for each of the five pillars of health, and we riff on each of them and why they might be helpful, uh, along with their underlying benefit that each one can deliver. When it comes to health, it's really about doing the right things the majority of the time, not really about being perfect all the time. And these simple rules of thumb can really help you accomplish that. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by TFC App. With an expanding global tribe of health nerds, we set out to create a platform that will allow the tribe to share our learning journey with others and inspire people around the world to live a more natural lifestyle. A major goal of the app was to provide a platform for science-based health education. The internet has become a messy place these days when it comes to health. Uh, you know, there's a lot of confusing opinions floating around and we wanted to use the principles of science and some strict content guidelines to give you the most powerful and helpful information so you can reclaim optimal health. The app is available now on the iOS app store or Google app store. It's free and you can find it by looking up the foot collective. Um, and we're going to be doing a full feature release on November 1st, which will probably be, um, by the time this airs, it should be live. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC head office in Ottawa are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m. And this unique Canadian company provides a subscription service that delivers you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the craft roasters that the beans come from. Check out theroasterspack.com. You can use the code FOOT at checkout and you'll get seven bucks off your first month of any subscription, which start at 27 a month, all in, including shipping and taxes. So it ends up being a really good deal. This episode is also sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality pro level hard cases in Canada, uh, and they keep your electronics safe during travel. So you can check out their cases at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hey folks, Nick and Mike here, back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today's episode topic is health heuristics. Uh, we're gonna cover what heuristics are, how they can be useful rules of thumb to simplify health. And we're gonna list and unpack some useful heuristics for each pillar of health. And these are suggestions from us personally that we've seen um, to be effective with us and with patients. Um, and really the theme today is that health um, has been overcomplexified over big time, and, but it can be simple. It's more about doing the big things correctly than stressing about the small things. And you know we'll get into the definition of heuristics, but they're essentially shortcuts that make, make it easier to make decisions. Uh, and I think the theme today is it's not about being perfect, it's about being healthy and they're different things. So yeah. maybe let's start with what is a heuristic? Cause no, I, I know that before, um, I read that word in thinking fast and slow, but mm -hmm. I, I didn't actually, didn't actually compute as something to look into. But when you mentioned it as a topic for a podcast, I was like, wow, this is actually really powerful. Yeah. So it's like, a can be thought of as a simple strategy or, or rule for making decisions, um, by focusing on the most relevant aspects of a complex problem. So it really is, is looking at what's the simplest way we can make a decision, even when there's a really complex situation at hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, another way to look at it is a, a mental shortcut that reduces cognitive load in making a decision. So it's these quick shortcuts that 
it's almost like the the good enough approach if we can just use the the baseline important things that we need to know and make a decision based on that we can save ourselves a ton of confusion um a, a ton of cognitive load and, and a ton of thinking because we can make we can make pretty good uh decisions most of the time and that's yeah. the key um exactly. things examples are like rules of thumb like you you talked about so yep. um everyone knows what a rule of thumb is and and again a rule of thumb might might be wrong sometimes, right? Um, so it doesn't mean it's always going to be, but the rule of thumb is a rule of thumb because it works most of the time and it's generally good. So we use it most of the time. Yeah. And I feel um, like pretty much all the content we put out at TFC and that you put out are, are essentially heuristics, right? Like yeah. it's, you know, if we, if we realize that 99.9% .9 of people's bodies abide by similar principles then targeting that and giving people advice to address that 99 percent. yes there's always going to be outliers but you know what if you focus on outliers you just get confused because they're all different yeah and i think you know when someone says oh that's not true i have foot pain here and that didn't help well yeah there's going to be exceptions to the rule but when you're talking about the bulk of the population very fundamental principles can apply very effectively mm -hmm. right like that one person that has specific foot pain in one spot that's weird well if they did the five big things correctly then they probably wouldn't have that foot pain. For sure. Right? So it's like heuristics just simplify things and they're not telling people what to do. They're giving general guidelines on doing the big stuff well enough to be healthy. Yeah, exactly. That's the moral of the story. And they help us make these decisions when th things are complex. Another way to look at it, like educated guesses would be another example of a heuristic, but I like the rule of thumb yep. approach. Intuitive judgments play into heuristics too. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it is is basically saying that this comes down to like making decisions and what goes into them and that humans we th we like to think are, are very rational but oftentimes we are we are irrational and we can't we can't see every aspect of a situation so we almost need to rely on certain things yeah. like these heuristics to make the appropriate decisions um if they contribute to our survival our our goals and and our health and well-being in the, in the case that we're we're going to be talking about today um so if you get lost in the weeds a lot of times it leads to inaction or confusion yeah so it's better to be right on the big things than to fixate on the small things and miss out on the big things exactly so right. they're basically they're sufficient enough for making a or reaching an immediate goal or a long-term goal sufficient enough um there there might be a difference between good enough and perfect being optimized yeah right so so the i think the the thing is optimization of decisions is rarely possible in the real world um, just because there's so much complexity in the real world. Yeah. So like optimizing your health, it should be more of take a heuristic approach and then after that heuristic approach is, is accomplished, then you can look further into optimization. Well, even, yeah, I think the nomenclature starts to get a bit confusing because optimization, my definition of optimization is always trying to seek an optimal state. I yeah. think perfect health is probably the thing that yeah. we want to convey. It's like, you don't have to have perfect health. In fact, perfect health is a misnomer. It never happens. Exactly. But being or like healthy, a perfect diet, and we're going to get into all the other areas too. Exactly. It's like, okay, people That's are confused. People confuse it. Why are they confused? Because we're making it very complex. Yeah. So again, if we use these heuristics or rules of thumb, then it's going to be good enough for you to be pretty damn healthy exactly although you, you you could maybe you could get a couple of percentage points better over time and that's where maybe where we look into the more complex stuff now we can dig into the weeds a little bit and say okay 
you know, maybe if I do these little things or I take these little supplements or I, um, I change up my macronutrients a little bit, I feel a little bit better. Um, but again, that's kind of, but in general, if you eat real food, you're going to be healthy. Yeah, it's, no, like, exactly. it's a prime example of just, and the problem is, is we make a lot, people make a lot of money from complexifying things. That's yes. part of the, that's like this underlying thing that, that kind of tells why we've become so complex because if I make something sound really complex, you are now dependent on coming to see me, the quote unquote expert to help you deal with this complex issue. But if I tell you the simple things to do on a daily basis, you don't need to come see me for every little thing. And then if you make your own simple rules over time, yeah. then you can go by those set of rules and you have your own heuristics. And I'm sure a lot of listeners out there, most people have these heuristics, these, these fast and quick, uh, quick and dirty approaches, these little rules of thumb, whether they realize though, it or not, exactly. They're just following them. Um, and, and hopefully once you become more aware that this, this is a thing and this can apply, maybe you can write out or make them more, um, obvious to you or, um, yeah. may, you know, put them on paper and just define them what they are. Cause then it helps you have these like fall back it's basically rules to fall back upon yeah when you're confused when you have too much information um maybe when you're in a state and you're not thinking as clearly you still whatever the case is you have these things to fall back on to make yeah. some good enough decisions and some people will call them principles or guidelines like mm -hmm. ray dalio and principles the whole book is called principles but it's basically these general things that help guide decision making so that yeah. you have a better likelihood of making a good decision without overburdening your mental capacity with having to make thousands of decisions and worrying about whether you have enough information to make the perfect decision just have enough information to make a good enough decision for a successful outcome exactly that would be the same same idea he would be relying heavily on that um now some examples like before we get into the into the specific specifics of them i think today we're going to apply them to to health and yeah. they can be applied to health in um in very specific terms and they can also be applied in general terms they can be applied in uh, in the medical field too mm -hmm. um and i just want to throw out a, a couple examples of how they can even help us in in like the medical field um they can make, they can help us make decisions like even in a hospital setting or something like that, where it's like, where should we triage somebody? Yeah. Right. Um, instead of knowing like somebody has an injury, do we need to know exactly what, what it is or exactly what's going on? Or can we use some simple rules to say, Hey, they should go to this room or that room. Exactly. Right. And then we can make decisions from there. Um, screening it's used a lot in that little questionnaires like do you have pain here can you weight bear on on something after you on, on your ankle after you yeah uh, auto ankle rules. auto ankle rules is a prime example so again even in healthcare and I, I read some research papers on this saying like we should be relying in terms of even just efficiency um relying on some of these rules as long as we're getting the desired result that's the yes. whole that's the whole point is that can we use these simple rules that make make things a lot more efficient but still come to the good enough conclusion and the research says yes there the are there are validated heuristics that people will use in a medical setting to give them a good enough outcome to or, or give them a good enough set of guidelines to achieve the desired outcome Maybe not telling you, like auto ankle rules, it doesn't tell you what's wrong with your ankle, but it no. tells you there's not a fracture, which is yeah. all people give a shit about when you go to the hospital because you're not there. Hospitals don't exist to treat ankle sprains. They exist to make sure your bones aren't broken and don't need to have some sort of intervention applied to reset those bones. And then it guides it's you on the decision. Effective. Do you need to stay? Do we need to cast things? Or can you go about your day? Can you treat exactly. it differently? So it was just a little decision that needed to be made without knowing ex 
exactly um, what was going on. And the so. key is simplifying, but not at the expense of being effective. Yeah. Right. So if you make things too simple, then they lose their effectiveness. But if you can keep it simple while being effective, that's really the whole motivation behind these heuristics. Exactly. So, what do you want to start with movement? I think we'll start with movement. And I think okay. an overarching heuristic that I think we should talk about before we get into all the like the sub pillars of health is that when in doubt, fall back on the pillars of health. Yeah. So so then it's like if you're in doubt on of what to do to be healthy, go back to the basics of of movement, exercise, um, diet, sleep, stress reduction slash mental health, yep. um, and and community slash relationships. Like yep. just check those boxes and say, oh, how are those doing? Which one of these boxes am I struggling most with? And maybe target that one. Yeah, because you can't do everything at once. But if you knock these boxes off and check these boxes off as things that you feel comfortable that you can honestly say. I have, I have good control over my movement or my sleep or the food I eat. Yeah. You know, what is your biggest issue? And start with that because if you try and do everything at once, it's overwhelming and you'll oftentimes just fail. Yeah. So maybe just like when in doubt, take a broad glance at the, at the pillars of health and say, yep. how am I doing? And then we can look into the pillars more deeply and say, what are some rules of thumb, some yep. simple things that we can do to to make sure we're making some decent decisions. And again, it doesn't yeah, have to exactly. be perfect, perfect all the time. And that's what we're going to cover today, to give you some ideas um, of heuristics that we've seen to be really effective, both personally and with people that we work with. Um, and, and, you know, these come from a lot of different sources, right? Re things that we've read, videos that we've watched, things that we've applied personally. But um, the hope is that some of these resonate with you and they're things that you can remember or even write down um, as as just simple rules of thumb to help guide you into the decisions you make. So, so why don't we go tic-tac? You do one, I'll do one. Okay, we'll go so ahead. if we start with movement, I think one of the ones I wrote down is, if you're feeling antsy, it's time to move. And and I think that's... I like that one. It's very intuitive, but for me, it pops up all the time. Like yesterday, I don't think it's intuitive for a lot of people. It, it, sh it's, it should be intuitive, but we've lost its yeah. intu intuitiveness. Like... I was at a coffee shop yesterday just doing work and computer work and emails and all that for, and it, like two hours in, I was just like, I was getting really, <laughs> like, I, I was just like, okay, what's, but again, I went back to that rule right away and it's like, oh, it's time to move. So what did yeah. I do? I, I drove right to the gym, which was like five minutes away from the coffee shop I was at. And I, and I got a good strength workout. I didn't feel, felt immediately better. It was only like a half hour workout. But, but again, the more, more I catch myself feeling in that, it's like this pent up energy and it's yep. saying like, move, move. And, and it might be because you've been in one position too long. Um, so it could be like on a subscale, it might be like literally just move positions on more of a macro scale. It might be like, take a break and move, take a break and go out and do something and yep. move. But either way, if you're feeling antsy, move well, your body. It's funny because some people would interpret, I think the vast majority of people would interpret that signal as a feeling of anxiety and they would look at social media mm -hmm. or they would go buy a donut. Like they would yeah. find something to self-soothe that negative feeling because you know, they might not be aware that movement is, is the hint that you're, the hint that you're getting is you need to move. Exactly. But if you misinterpret that and try and look for other sources of self-soothing that really don't give you, um, the nutrient that you're missing, that's causing that anxiety or that sense get of more uneasiness, then you just, yeah, you feed into it. <laughs> that's the thing. Cool. Um, one, one of them that I had was being a mover is more important than being an exerciser. And I think a lot of people misunderstand uh, you know, one thing we talk about in seminars is being a mover. It's, it, it actually comes down to very simple arithmetic. Okay. You, there's 24 hours in a day, whatever you sleep, which should be seven to nine hours. Let's say it's eight. You subtract from that. So you got 16 hours left. 
being a mover means moving and not being static for the majority of those hours. So if you have 16 hours, it means for eight of those hours, you are moving instead of static. That makes you a mover. And it's very different from this kind of active versus sedentary nomenclature that we commonly use where mm -hmm. someone can sit for 10 hours, right? When you accumulate a total, when you, when you, when you add up like sitting for meals, sitting in the car, sitting at work, it's very easy to accumulate 10 hours. And if you're sitting for 10 hours and most people, it's more, most people, it's more like 12 or 14, like it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, then, but you exercise for two hours a day. People think you're active. You sit for 10, you exercise for two. And let's be real. You're probably sitting for more than 10. Um, but most people would say, oh, I exercise two hours a day. I'm active. It's like, really? Have you spent more of your waking hours not moving than moving? Then you're not, you're a sedentary, you're a sitter that exercises. You're a sedentary person that exercises and you are not a mover. Mm -hmm. And actually being a sedentary person that exercises is actually pretty dangerous because that's who most of our population is that we see in the clinic. Because sure. the restrictions that develop from that time spent sedentary transfer over and mess up your movement patterns when you exercise. So be a mover. Being a mover is more important than being an exerciser. That was that, was that one. I like it. Um, one of mine would be make sure your joints can still move well over time. Yeah. So <laughs> I will just um, a few times a week do a little, you could call it a mobility session. You could call it a movement session, whatever you want to call it. But I will just get into positions. Like, can my joints still do this? Mm -hmm. Can my wrist still do this? I'll put some weight through there and I'll, and I'll get into a squat. Can my ankle still do that? So basically just saying, can my joints still do this? Yeah. And then over time, if your joints can still do this, then that means you will never lose the ability of your joints to do that. Yeah. Um, so it's very simple, but it's like, it's just like testing the, the, the physical machine out and saying, can I still do this? And does my joint, do my joints still move? Um, and then over time, the compound of that is, is when you're older, you will still be able to do that. It's very simple, <laughs> but I, but I see people in, in the clinic all the time. Like I, I went over, uh, I had an 83 year old the other day named Peter and he, I was like, cause he's, he's moving so well. I was going over some like nuances of deadlifting and all that with him, but he's been working out forever. Yes. Like what's your secret? Yes, and he's like, well, I just made sure I like, same thing. He's like, I just made sure <laughs> I, I moved. <laughs> moved over time. I made sure I never That's lost hilarious. the ability to move. And it was like, and he's like, I just made sure I was moving well and my body was moving well and I, and I stretched and he was basically saying the same thing. I just made sure things worked well over time. I love what so, uh, FRC and, and Spina say, make your parts work nice. Yeah. That, like what does mobility work for? For making your parts work nice. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't they mean still move? make every joint work perfect. Just make them work nice. Make them work nice enough that you have access to good movement patterns. And I don't know. And that shouldn't be if there's any like controversy over like what you, you know, people saying like posture doesn't matter. I think the confusion is that like, hey, you have control over can your joints move? Yeah. You just need to take control and make sure they do. And then your body works nice, like you're saying. Um, yeah. So it's very simple. Um, but I'll just stress test uh, my, my joints. I like that one. Um, another one I had was don't repeat movements that create pain. This seems like almost silly to say, but when you look at running as a movement and you hear stories about people that are constantly running through pain, mm -hmm. a simple heuristic is if it hurts to do something, don't keep doing it or look into it. Or, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. And I don't mean don't do it forever. I mean, fix it so that you can keep doing it. Yeah. But doing it repeatedly through pain is ignoring the protective yeah. mechanism that is pain. And the, like that heuristic is, is, it almost seems like, well, duh, but like for a lot of people, they're a lot of people that think that's obvious actually aren't even taking their own advice and aren't no, applying exactly. it. So, you know, if, if 
moving, if lifting something up hurts, figure out why it hurts, mm -hmm. right? Don't to think, how do I get it. rid of this pain? Think, what the heck am I doing to create this pain? Because that immediately makes you try and look into the cause instead of just covering up the pain. Exactly. Decode the pain signal. Yeah. Um, one, one more I'll get across is just, if you're feeling overwhelmed, go for a walk. So that is kind of related to my first, um, but a little bit different. Like it can be if that feeling of actually being overwhelmed or things are, things are piling up, um, purposely go on a walk and it just gives you, I think it, it relates to all the other parts of this too, like stress reduction and everything, but it gives you clarity and it allows yeah. you to, to clear your mind a little bit. Um, again, it's, it is movement, but movement is, is creating that, that space, that clarity, that stillness a little bit. Um, yeah. So if you're overwhelmed, go for a walk. Yeah. That's, that's and working if you're still, well if you get home and you're still overwhelmed, go for another longer walk. <laughs> yeah. It feels good. feels good. Yeah. All right. That's good for movement. You have any more for movement? No, that's pretty good. All right. Let's go into sleep. So my first one for sleep, and this is a super simple one that anyone can do. And most people are going to find really hard to do no screens in the bedroom, no computer, no iPad, no phone in your bedroom. Your bedroom is a place for sleep. It is not a place for other stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is a big problem with a lot of people, me included previously. Right. And it was actually hard. And at the end, um, I think in mental health, I have a very similar heuristic, but for this one, no screens in your bedroom. It's so simple. Everyone can do it. And I think a lot of people are going to struggle. Yeah. So, but it's powerful. Like it's simple. Uh, another one would be, I mean, a simple one, be in bed eight hours before you have to wake up, <laughs> like with lights off too. Yeah. So if you just do that relatively well, you still might have, might not have, again, back to like, you might not have the perfect sleep. There might be other things that are affecting your sleep, but that's yeah. a simple one that you can at least get. You're giving yourself the opportunity get, to get eight hours. Yeah. You might not get eight hours. Then you can get a little bit more complex after. Yeah. But I like it. Um, one heuristic I like when it comes to sleep, if you wake up tired, you didn't get enough sleep and enough means quality or quantity, right? Like yeah. if you wake up and you're exhausted and it's hard to get out of bed, you are not getting enough sleep. Very simple. And all that does is it triggers you to realize I need to get more sleep. And then you can look into it deeper from there. Too. Exactly. doesn't tell you exactly what you need to do. It just tells you that you need to address something. Mm -hmm. I think another one for me is don't try to fight our poor sleep. So if I do get a poor sleep and I'm just feeling kind of stressed, overwhelmed, uh, not the best, low energy, um, just realize that it's that and then try to address it, right? Um, as opposed to trying to be super productive that day and trying to fight through it and all of that, uh, because that can almost create more of this overwhelmed feeling and all of that. Just realize it and don't try to fight it. Just try to get better sleep. Yep, I like that one. Um, my last one for sleep was have a caffeine deadline. You know, I think a safe one is no coffee after lunch. No, yeah. after, after 12 noon lunch hour, do not consume caffeine. It's very simple. Caffeine is a half-life of seven hours, which means seven hours after you've consumed it, half of the caffeine is still in your system. Yeah. Um, so if you have a coffee, you know, uh, my deadline was noon. It was 1 PM. It's funny. I'm just keep backtracking my deadline. It was 1 PM. Then it was noon. Then it was 11. Now it's 10 AM. Um, and I find that that is the most powerful way i think to at least allow yourself to have sleep pressure so that by the time it comes time to going to bed you have this pressure to sleep and you feel tired yeah. because that's really what caffeine gets rid of is the sleep pressure that essentially the more time you've been awake the more of this chemical in your body called adenosine builds up which creates a pressure for you to feel tired and caffeine binds where adenosine usually binds and essentially blocks that from having an effect so caffeine makes you less tired which is why people in the morning, if they still got a bunch of adenosine in their system because they haven't slept enough to clear it, 
that's why caffeine feels real good and it boosts you. Yeah. Um, but having a caffeine deadline of noon or earlier, I think is a very powerful heuristic to make sure that caffeine is not becoming an obstacle for you being able to get a good night's sleep. Simple. And, and you almost, with all of these heuristics, I think you need to identify with the heuristic. So you, you meaning that you need to say like, I'm the person who doesn't drink caffeine after whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm the person that you have to commit. I go for walks when I'm feeling like I'm the person who does that. Yeah. So, so then it's like, oh, it's, there's not this like, oh my God, there's temptation. Should I drink caffeine? I feel yeah. like one. It's not an option. Well, it's not, I'm, I'm the person who doesn't do that. Why would I do exactly. it? If it? That's so powerful it, too. It, because when you make the decision to commit to health, you're essentially, <clears throat> you're essentially committing to be a different self, mm -hmm. right? Like you're no longer the person that did all these habits, which you were not long ago. You have to basically completely disidentify with that self and now identify with a new self that is committed to health at like essentially no nothing will make you not not abide by what you know is healthy and maybe that's a good place where the, for the heuristics is just that they can be used to just keep you in line almost in in terms of like you you behave like a you, healthy person yeah you create <laughs> the one. rules and then you follow those rules because that uh, th that's what's getting the best decisions for you so um yeah yeah, act like a healthy person and you will become a healthy person. Mm -hmm. Then you just have to know what defines a healthy person. That's what we're here to do. Um, anything else for sleep? That's pretty good. Okay, let's get into food. I had a ton of them for food. Probably won't go through all of them, but um, I only have a ton of them because I recently read Michael Pollan's book, Food Rules, which is essentially 64 heuristics or food rules to guide people on how to make better decisions when it comes to food it doesn't tell you what to eat it tells you it actually more or less tells you what not to eat what to avoid mm -hmm. which still leaves you with a massive variety available of things to eat but they're really just quick and dirty rules that help guide you the general principles that make it easy to remember um you know that make it easy to make specific decisions right they're not yeah. telling you what specific decisions to make they're general principles that can be applied to specific decisions so it reduces the burden of decision making Right. And lets you spend less time reading ingredient labels and just simplify your eating life. We eat every day. We may as well simplify it so that it's actually understandable for people. Because I think this, the more I look into food, it's one of the only pillars of health that the more you look into it, the simpler it gets. Everything else gets more complex. You look into mental health and you realize how, you know, complex you can make it simple, but there's a lot of complexity to dig into when it comes to the brain and, and, you know, what causes depression, anxiety, but with food, it's like the more you look into it, the more you realize, well, most of what we've been brainwashed to think of in terms of nutrients and macros and proteins and carbs really doesn't matter for the eater, right? Like I'm not, so if we separate scientists and nutritionists and eaters, all yeah. of us, normal humans, me included, are just eaters. And what eaters have to know to be healthy when it comes to food is so simple. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so the first one I had was eat when you're hungry, not when you're bored. Right. Let hunger determine when That's you're consuming food and not just boredom, because I think I it's like I think a lot of people go to the fridge and open it up when they're bored and don't even know they're doing it. It's like I used to be that person. Um, so eat when you're hungry, not when you're bored. And I think maybe on that note is that eating can become habitual. So, again, if you're if you eating, if you eat when you're hungry, it's not eating when, because it's a habit. Like yeah. I've learned that it's like sometimes I wake up in the morning after I feasted the night before. And if I actually listen to my body, I actually don't. Sometimes I'm like, actually, you know, our friend Laurel, Mike Lorelli, he, uh, 
I wonder if he listens. Shout out if he's listening. He has birthday parties sometimes where we feast so much that <laughs> that was actually a few years ago. That was the first time I woke up and I was like, I can't eat until like way later in the day. I just physically can't. Yeah. But that's kind of a that feeling comes up more more often than not um, these days if i have a big meal the night before i'm like oh i don't really feel like it's something right off the bat so if you just follow instead of just saying i eat this time this time this time eat according to yeah to your feeling like look feeling internally for cues instead of externally that's the thing i think it's very powerful and the the problem is we live in a world that is filled with external cues whether it's smells or ads or all these things like there's companies do a really good job at making sure that food is on your mind all the time um, and it's a really, it's a, yeah, it's a, that's part of the problem. Like if we made billboard advertising for unhealthy foods, just not allowed, which put it this way, if someone was elected prime minister and said that we're going to make junk food advertisements illegal, we're not going to allow it to happen because we care more about the health of our people than these big corporations making money. That would be a really good play. Mm-hmm. Like I would get behind that hundred percent. Be like, this guy is just going based on, or girl or woman is going based on scientific principles and not just being letting the rules run wishwash because of money, right? So I don't I know guess. how we got on that. Internal versus external cues. Um, Another thing is if it if it doesn't resemble, if you don't know that it was life, at some then, point. <laughs> then just. And I'm not saying don't eat it ever, yeah. but just mostly don't eat it. Yeah. So. And that's where like a leaf or a piece of lettuce or or a vegetable is clearly it was life. Yep. And or so meat. was a piece of meat that was yep. life. So if you it's not easily identifiable identifiable as something like that, then um, just eat it less. I would say don't. I'm not saying don't eat it, but yep. eat it much less. Well, this brings this is ties in nicely to one that I had written down, which is consume more food than fun. And yeah. that whole paradigm of food versus fun, I think, is really powerful because. It's not saying never have fun, right? It's not saying never have chips or a bagel or a donut, but make sure that's not the bulk of what you're eating. And, you know, if it doesn't rot, it's probably fun. Yeah. Um, if it comes, if it's advertised, it's probably fun. Uh, if you want to eat so much of it that it makes you feel terrible, it's probably fun because companies do a really good job at essentially tricking us to eat massive quantities of things when they engineer sugar, salt, and fat into things that have zero nutrients but essentially pull all of these brain triggers that we've developed as humans to desire these these three kind of these three elements. Yeah. So just you can have fun sometimes, but make sure that you're eating way more food than fun and you know have fun. I always tell people have fun on special occasions. And the whole premise of special occasions is they don't happen every day. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so that's a good one. Um one I had is eat wild foods when you can. Right. What I mean by wild foods are, you know, wild plants and animals. They're just healthier organisms, right? They have to survive in nature. And, and, you know, wild foods is like going to a farmer's market. You're buying wild vegetables. You're not buying vegetables in the grocery store that came from Mexico. Those are domesticated vegetables or um, animals, right? Like, you, you know, buy pasture raised wild meat that comes from a local source instead of meat that you find in the grocery store that just shows up in this little styrofoam tray. So yeah. eat wild foods whenever you can. And we talked about this at one point, like, and the other day I realized that this whole, um, when you look at salmon, right, you look at like this salmon that you buy in most supermarkets, it's like a really pale pink. And that's yeah. what I thought salmon was my whole life. And then I had this like wild, um, salmon from BC and I was like, this looks weird. It's like such a vibrant, deep, like red. Like fuchsia pink. 
And I thought that was weird, but now I think the pale salmon is the weird one. Yeah. Because that's the wild animal. That's the domesticated, weird farm-raised animal that's, I don't even know how much of true salmon qualities it actually retains. So eat wild vegetables and animals when possible. That's a good one. Um, you have any more for that? Yeah. Pay more, eat less. I really like that one because it's essentially a really simplified version of saying quality over quantity. And um, I heard the saying once that said, it's better to pay your grocer than to pay your doctor. And it essentially reflects the fact that the less you pay for your food, the more people, the more you end up paying in health expenses because it usually means you're buying cheaper food, shittier food, nutrient deficient food. And so all of a sudden you can develop health problems um, because you're not spending enough on food. And we don't spend... We talked about this in another podcast too, how in North America, we spend a tiny fraction of our income on food compared to the rest of the world. True. And we actually eat way more calories and we spend less money. So all it means is we're eating crappy food. Yeah, we don't really prioritize. We don't think of food as as important. Like for most of our evolutionary existence, the the one thing that was of very, very high importance was, was food. Like our whole life is based on acquiring food and, and eating food. Yeah. I mean, primarily to stay alive. But and we never had any confusion about it. It was simple. No. Go out to the habitat, like grab shit that yeah. you can eat that the, fuels you, and that's it. One of the sub-purposes of life was to attain food. And you're trying to attain, I mean, more food and better food back mm-hmm. throughout most of our history. But I think today food was it's scarce like, back then. we don't look at food as something that... Food really allows us to keep living and keep doing whatever other goals we have. Now, maybe it's not simply just reproduce. Um, but it might mean whatever your, your mission is in life, but food right. is one of the vehicles that allows us to get there. hundred percent. So I think we, if we just prioritize it, we might be inclined to spend a little bit more, pay a bit more attention to it, but also pay a little bit more for it too. Yeah. So I got two more. And the last one is the king of all the food heuristics. But the next one is eat meals, not snacks. And I think that's a powerful one because, you know, in the very recent past, you know, we've always had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And whether you subscribe to that or not, it's totally up to you. It doesn't really matter. Um, but we added a fourth eating occasion, which we call snacking, and essentially lasts the entire day. And I think, you know, most of the time people are snacking. Um, it's on junk food. I read a thing that in Paul's book that says gas stations make more money selling junk food than they do selling fuel because the margin, the markup on junk food is so high. Wow. So don't, and he's like, one of the rules was, don't fuel your body where you fuel your car. Yeah. And I was like, that's a great heuristic, but we need to, we need to focus more on meals where you're eating, sitting down at a table with other humans, which is part of this ceremony of eating food was traditionally a ceremony of community and of, you know, having a reverence for what you're about to eat because the work that went into doing that is like something to be rewarded. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think if you eat meals and not snacks, you're probably going to avoid eating in situations where your body's not really good at digesting, like in the car. If you get food out of, if food gets delivered to you through the window of your car, that's fun. That's not food. Don't mistake the two. And even Mark Hyman had this uh, post the other day where he said, there's no such thing as junk food. There's junk and there's food. You need to make the distinction because they are not, they should not, we we, we shouldn't be meddling. You know, I, I think companies made the term junk food to make it seem like, it's still food, but there's junk and there's food. There's, you have to distinguish between the two. Um, the last one I had, which is the king of all of them is two words, cook food, Yeah. cook your food, play Like this is the most powerful way to reclaim control 
over not just your food, but your life, right? Like you have full control over this. If you cook your own food, it changes your relationship with food and it gives you a first glance look at what is actually going into the food you're putting into your mouth. This is huge. Be the chef. And and if you, if you're somebody who, and, and again, if you just learn how to make stuff, people yeah. are like, oh, I don't, Doesn't I, I can't cook. cook. It's like, well, no, you can. Yeah. You just, just you know, <laughs> cook stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then you get better at it and you figure out what you like to cook. But I mean, there's the whole other side of the benefit for that. But I, again, it's just that simple control thing. Controlling yeah. what you eat comes down to like, you have to buy the stuff or order it through a grocery, whatever. You have to attain the stuff and then you, you need play to play a part in preparing it. Prepare it. And then and this is one of the you biggest, know how you're preparing it. It's one of the biggest reasons that we've added recipes as a content type for TFC app. You know, I, I think you tell people to cook food and they're like, okay, well, how? Right? And they look at, you look at um, meal shows, like cooking shows, they're not realistic. Like someone's got all these beautiful portions put out. They're amazing at doing all the things like chopping in a certain way. It just appears like that at the flick of a wrist. You don't actually see the whole process. And I think, you know, the, if the goal is get people to, to want to cook more, you then have to make cooking simple, not intimidating and satisfying. They got to be able to make delicious stuff in a simple, easy way in 30 minutes or less. And that's really... You know, we might partner with HelloFresh and try and contact them because they're, I use them and they're a really good company. They deliver you not prepared meals, but ingredients packaged so you can make the meal in 30 minutes or less. And they bring you through every single step. And if we can make cooking convenient for people, I think that's the magical element to getting people actually interested in cooking again. Yeah. Um, because the family cooked meal has been dying off slowly but surely. And I think that's one of the biggest root causes of why we're so messed up when it comes to food is we've gotten just disconnected from it. So, okay, that's it for food. So we got last two, we got mental or mental health, but I, I think I'm changing now that I read that this book lost connections, um, by yo, I think it's Johan Hari. I can't remember, um, his name, but yeah, he but calls it emotional health. He's like, we call it mental health to sensitize it, but it's really emotional health. Yeah. And so I think this, so there's, uh, emotional health and community are the last two pillars. So what do you have for emotional health? One of them would be breathe first thing in the morning and before bed. Um, and nice. what I mean by that is just when you wake up, you can some you don't know what state you're going to wake up in sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you wake up and you'll start thinking about things that you need to do that day or things on your mind. If I just go to my breathe, sometimes I don't even know if I'm breathing. So I've, I've been catching yeah. myself more and more recently and tune just, into it, just tuning in and say, if I just like just get my breathing under control, take some deep breaths, spending a few minutes, it might be only a couple minutes. And, and that's, that's enough to just start my day. Right. And then breathe before bed. It's almost, that's almost like mind the tension that you have from the day. If you had a really crazy day, overwhelming day, then it's like, okay, just check in with your state again and, and use breathing as the modality to just like, first of all, be mindful of it, but check in and then realize sometimes I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, my shoulders are up. I'm not really breathing uh, well or at all. Um, so I just breathe again. So first thing in the morning, right before bed, obviously you can do throughout the day. Obviously yeah. there's other times, but those are two times where it's check in with the state of the day at the end of the day. And right when you wake up, set your day on the right path and then calm yourself down before you go to bed. So you can actually sleep better and do other things like that. I like too. that. And actually that ties into one that I had. Um, and we came up with most of these completely separately, but it's funny how similar they are. Um, I guess we, well, it's no surprise. We probably think pretty similarly, but um, and this ties into the screens in the bedroom, but don't look at your phone for the last hour before you go to bed and don't look at your phone for the first hour that you're awake. Yeah. And this is, you know, this seems simple, 
once again, a lot of people are going to find it difficult, probably. So I know I did. So don't feel bad if you do. And maybe you start with like 20 minutes and then work up to an hour. But I think an hour, I've found that an hour is a very good buffer. And I think this brings to light a couple things. Number one, you learn how dependent you were on looking at your phone for some sort of dopamine bump to cover up being tired. You know, people, I think get a really easy habit, a slippery habit to get into is look at Instagram or look at your emails as soon as you wake up. Yeah. And you essentially are getting out of the state of sleep and instantly starting your day in a reactive mode where you're reacting to comments or you're reacting to emails you received. You can't even have like time to think, right? Like you said, just breathing is powerful. But I think no phone last hour before bed or the first hour before you get up. I think that is immensely powerful. Um, mental health for yeah for so it, many things for and it sleep, feeds into all the other mental, pillars too, emotional yeah. health yeah very powerful one that i had or oh no it's your turn so one was just and this is more taking a, a macro view but i'm i'm trying to if you don't like the the emotional state you're in then try to decouple it what i mean by that is that it's if you can get better at just catching your emotion and just being aware of it then you can see was it a was it because of the, the thinking I was just doing? Was I think was it because of something I was just thinking about? Was it was it because the the scenario that I'm in? Was there a trigger? Um, was it so? It's always like if you don't like the emotional state you're in, ask why, and then that might come up throughout the day. And it might be because you're in traffic. It might be because you're thinking about something. It might be because of the scenario you're in, whatever it might be. But it try to decouple the either thought, scenario, hmm. or situation from from the emotion you don't like. Right. Yep. But you could also use it the other way is, is try to, if I'm, if I like the emotional state I'm in, maybe ask why again. Yeah. So if I'm happy why, right. And, so and it's, it's still just, decoupling because you're still trying to find out what caused like yeah. separate the emotion from what created that emotion yeah. so that whether it's a good or bad way to either incentivize doing that more frequently or disincentivize that or learn from it. Yeah. So it's, it's almost, and again, there, you're going to, emotions will happen all day long. Thoughts will come in continuously, but, um, that's just when you you can start with well like when i really don't like it check into it and try to decouple it and then it might mean just that'll happen more. and it, that all comes down to just the awareness piece and that's what's really going to be helpful for the for your mental health or emotional health but especially for that emotional health um become aware like i guess the awareness of the emotions just get used to feeling them and then but that should for me it triggers the thought of what is the where's this coming from and yeah. then boom you just get better at it the last one I had for emotional health is spend at least five minutes a day with your own thoughts. And this doesn't have to be five minutes all at once. Um, this can be something as simple literally as being in the grocery store lineup and not pulling out your phone, right? Like spend, get your daily dose of five minutes. Of, some will call it boredom, but I think the term boredom has ruined this state of mental awareness where we're Stillness. not, where we're distraction free, that we've all of a sudden seen it as a luxury to get rid of. And that's a huge part of why our minds are so problematic now, right? We all talk about, oh yeah, mental health awareness. We have mental health day, bell, let's talk, whatever. Great. Okay. We know mental health is a problem, but no one's talking about like simple heuristics that people can take, can understand to improve their mental health because people don't even understand what's causing it. I, you're right. I think Five that the, the awareness, like awareness that mental health is an issue is obviously is, is good. good. Yes. Um, and then awareness saying like, hey, don't like stigmatize it or you know and yeah. i think that's important too so people can talk but i think that but it's not enough i think that we are still medicalizing mental health problems people yeah. still think that i have a mental health problem uh, but it what they don't realize and that some people do have clinical mental like but i think 
everybody has has to mind their mental health and everybody should be talking about their mental health uh, i agree and uh, like one so two of the biggest you're not things normal or not like you again you might be there's outlier, but but again i think it's like everybody because I, you and me and everybody will have days that you're feeling in the dumps. You'll have days that you're feeling amazing. Mm -hmm. It will come, it will ebb and flow throughout the year, throughout the day. Like that's all emotional health, mental health. And it's just, if we don't talk about it to each other, what are some things that help when you do this? First of all, we don't know that other people are going through people who you would think are are just normal. Knowing that they go through these same things is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I think people who you respect people, because everybody's going through them, the most quote unquote successful people that you'll see are going through some serious shit under the, under the hood too. Everybody is. Mm -hmm. So yeah. One of the big things that in that book, Lost Connections, that I think is immensely powerful is that I think when people say I have a, a, you know, if someone has a mental health problem, we think they have a brain problem. They think that we think they have a broken brain with an imbalance. A biological problem. Exactly. It's a life problem. It is not a mental, it's not a brain problem and it's not physiological. Like being anxious or depressed based on a problem in your life is the natural thing, the healthy response that should happen. Yeah. Based on your situation. And it's not changing your brain by putting pills in your mouth it's changing your life to resolve the actual root cause of what's causing the anxiety and depression the anxiety and depression itself is a healthy adaptation to the problem that lies beneath Mm -hmm. it and if we all we talk about is like okay like we said it's good that people are aware of this but it's not good that we're not talking about solutions and i think that whole five minutes with your thoughts if you never have time with your own thoughts to process the shit in your life and figure out what's important and, and kind of solve these problems mentally, then obviously you're going to have big problems in terms of clutter and being lost. Yeah. Right. So I think it's, we just really need to bring awareness to salute. Awareness is there that it's a problem. We need to, we need to bring awareness to the fact that solutions are actually very simple and it's not a brain problem. It's a life problem. And here are things you can do to tackle those numerous life problems. Yeah. Cause life today is, is, is a problem modern culture is a problem when you look at mental health and when you look at whole body health so let's tease out the the individual parts and talk about simple solutions that people can feel empowered to take instead of feeling like oh i'm just i have mental health problems that's me boohoo because the that is the double-edged sword of of saying like let's make people more what i'm seeing just from a surface level is, is people are some people are coming and saying I have mental illness, you know, it's okay. I don't, it's almost like the, the overweight thing where, well, people are saying like, don't be, don't shame people with mental health or don't shame people over overweight. But, but it's like, okay, that like one thing is just being aware of that, but, but don't put yourself in the category of more of the, the victim of mental health problem. Put yourself in the category of like, okay, well, what can we start doing about this? Yeah. And uh, it's the same thing with the overweight. And uh, that's, that's the only because thing that I'm seeing. People are almost putting it out there more and saying, I have a, me-. and it's like, okay, that's great that you're showing people that you have a mental health problem, but maybe say, here's what I do to help. Right. Exactly. And here's what, here's the next step. Not just, I'm, I'm okay with my mental health problem. Right. Or I'm okay being overweight or whatever it is. Yeah. Right? Because it's okay it's, to admit that you have it. But yeah, the, the slippery thing with even the overweight thing is people take, not shaming like not shaming someone and not talking about it they take it to be the same thing yeah which literally removes like you don't say oh i'm a smoker and i'm proud of it no you say i'm a smoker i know it's a problem i need to find ways to fix it let's talk about strategies i can take to fix it but people don't even touch they they act like being overweight or having mental health problems is this thing that we have to be comfortable accepting but we don't want to touch 
because yeah. we're scared of it. And I think part of the fear is that we don't, most people don't understand mental health. And so it's something that we say is okay, it's there, but they don't touch it because they don't understand it. And I yeah. think the more you learn about mental health, the more, the more I learn about mental health, the more I realize like there's actually really simple solutions. And guess what? It's tied to every other pillar of health. And it's probably one of the most deepest, like you say, you have to, though you just have to really start learning about it Yeah, and you have to start applying little things over time and figuring these rules out. But yeah, I think the, the path to getting better mental health is through, uh, just educating your, yourself on what is out there and, and these different theories and edu- and, and the awareness piece. And yeah. just, it's, you just need more and more data on mental, on mental health and you can apply it to yourself. Uh, because you're right. I think it's just people don't know what to do about exactly. it at all. And like he talks about the Harrington it's scale. Very, it's more ephemeral than like a piece of food being good or bad. Yeah. It's more it's like, invisible. Mm, yeah. Let's make it concrete. He talks about the Harrington scale, which is, I can't remember if it's 52 or 56 points that rates you from not depressed at all to severe depression slash suicidal. And he talks about how on average antidepressants, not even talking about the negative side effects, just the positives they bring you up on the Harrington scale by about one and a half points on average. Wow. A full night of sleep boosts you by six points. So let's talk about real shit. Like if you're sleeping, you immediately improve your mental and emotional health three times more than the most effective, four times more, sorry, than the most effective antidepressants. That's what we need to talk about. So so that comes back to like the the first heuristic we talked about is when in doubt, go back to the pillars of health. Because if you have a mental health problem um, and you're, and you're not addressing if all these other pillars are not on point at a baseline level, then again, that's where we want to start. We don't want to go start taking drugs and then taking another one to mix with that one because these side effects of that one and the drug interactions, I think we should lower this one, raise this one. So now there's these weird drug interactions going in, in our brain. Um, But then that's just confounding with all the other issues, the, the simple heuristics that are being missed. And then it's, then it's a mess. So it, it just gets very, money. it just too gets much complex. Mon- it's and- too much money in antidepressants. This is like, yeah. I just bought two new books. One of them is called The Emperor's New Drug, I think. And like, like, yeah, we'll do a whole podcast. I think we should do a whole podcast episode on emotional health um, and whether how drugs like antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs are passed and allowed to be used um, are part of that or our entire topic of themselves like i still have to research it a lot more but i i really feel like that's a very important part of this emotional health realm that once it comes out and people understand it better um is going to be insanely powerful for, oh, for sure, everyone for sure and yeah. i think like just one more thing on that is just not only like clinical medicinal drugs but just the things like cough how coffee affects your state and how uh, had al- alcohol and and uh, any other recreational drugs too that a lot of people are just not looking at that too and and it's just again everything it can be so complex when everything's interacting with everything so you have to go back to the basics yep. with everything i agree last pillar is community and i think this is a powerful one and actually this it's funny because when you look at all these pillars you realize very quickly every pillar overlaps with pretty much every other pillar yeah. Um, and I think this sense of community is one of the biggest overlaps is community and emotional health because they're intrinsic. They're very tightly tied. And, you know, humans didn't evolve to be alone. We evolved to be in large tribes that were supportive. Um, and I think being anxious when you're isolated from the group evolutionarily was very powerful because it was a reminder saying if you're not interacting with the tribe or if you're not liked or if you're isolating yourself, 
it's going to be a lot harder to get food because we get food in teams. It's going to be a lot harder to raise children. Like evolution designed beautiful, elaborate mechanisms to, to essentially make us do what allowed us to survive. And being part of a community, um, I think, is a very, very important thing. So, you know, one of my heuristics was be a regular somewhere. Yeah. Right? It doesn't matter if it's the yoga studio, if it's a coffee shop, if it's, you know, a book club. It doesn't really matter. Be a regular somewhere and interact with other humans that have a similar purpose or similar interest. Very powerful. One of mine could be is uh, connect with somebody when you go out. So it might mean just going to the store or it might be going into your workplace or something like that. But the amount of times that you go out and you're just in your head the whole time and you're just doing the autopilot transaction with the cashier, you're doing the yeah. autopilot, um, you walk some, by somebody in the neighborhood and you're just on autopilot and your own thoughts there too. Like this morning I was out for a walk and, and I was actually, you know, you look at somebody passing by and you're like, hey, good morning. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, good morning. Like they don't, it's almost like people don't expect it or the same with the cashier. They know the difference between saying, oh, you know, like just giving your credit card just, yeah. uh, versus like, hey, how are you doing? Like yeah, just connect with somebody. And then exactly. it, then it, it just brings you into the present for that, that small moment. And then they also are brought into the present and there's like, oh, cool. And it just reminds you um, that, that you're in the real world and not in your head. And yeah. I think everyone's getting uh, worse at that these days. I agree. Another one of them was prioritize in-person friendships over online friendships because they're not the same. Okay, yeah. talking to someone over Instagram or Facebook is not the same as meeting up with someone and talking to them in person. And if we confuse the two and we start to do one way more than the other because it's more convenient, it's a slippery slope to go down. So prioritize in-person friendships over online friendships because they are not even in the same. I don't think online friendships should even have the term friendship because it's really not, it's not the same. Digital connection is not the same as in-person communication. And yeah. we, we can't mix the two up. Um, Another one is like when you're hanging out with friends or family, don't have your phone. Yeah. Don't have your phone on you. If you live with them all the time, then it might be different. But like I see my family once a week, at least for a meal. And when I walk in the door, I leave my phone at the door. I don't touch it because yeah. I know if it's on me, I'll probably look at it. And I think that heuristic is very powerful. If everyone makes this like rule where when we meet up as a family, we don't do it very often, but none of us have our phones on us. That is a very powerful way to make sure you're actually tuning in and being present to connecting with your yeah. friends or your family. And I I feel like you almost cultivate a group of people that have a similar mindset. Like when we're going out for a hike or something like that, we're not on our phones. Yeah. But I think a lot of people... It's you go way more average, rewarding when you can go out to dinner or, or something like that and nobody's on their phone for yeah, a long period of time. Because exactly. you forget, you even forget like what the time, like the time, which is important too, time dilation. Like you're just be talking to somebody... And then two hours will go by. Usually it's this weird thing where we're so on schedule. You're looking at your phone, you look at a text, you look at your phone. But yeah, it, it just throw everything away. And the rewards you get out of that are just, I think the feeling is always, after that happens, is always, we should do this more. That's always yeah, the feeling. I know. Um, so then, know. well, what is that? That feeling of we should do this more is the feeling saying like, we should do this more. Um, why? Because it feels good, right? Yeah. So so listening back to listening to your good emotions and then also listening to your bad emotions. If you're on your phone all the time and you're always anxious, ooh, connect the dots there too. Exactly. So um, cool. one simple one that I'm just going to throw in there with in regards to like sickness, like having colds or flus or something like that is... Um, one of them is if you feel a cold might be coming on heavily prioritize sleep Yeah, and, and you can often catch it in its tracks. Um, and that's an been immune booster. Yeah. It's the, if you make the decision of, Oh, I feel like my body's fighting something. So I'm going to, 
I'm going to go with it, not against it. And yeah. I've, the amount of times I've kind of caught myself now and prevented things from happening is, is been big. And then like along with that, if, if you do get sick, analyze the conditions that were present leading up to it. Yes. So again, Learn it's, from it. it's, it's more just like the learning from it as opposed to like, again, I'm like a, kind of the victim of being sick. Everyone around me is sick. No, it's like learn from, you can always learn from it. And whenever I get sick now, you, it's like the hindsight is 2020 thing, but I, there's, so, there's so many funny heuristics, like false heuristics that people use. Oh, I'm sick. It's the weather's changing. I got sick. Really? Yeah. Is that it? Or maybe you're just doing a lot of shit to your body that made your immune system suck. Yeah. And then like, it, it's just funny how no one really looks internally to what am I doing to create a body that's succumbing to being sick? Because guess what? You have bacteria, you have pathogens around you all the time, all yeah. the time. If you don't live in like a, if you're not a Howard Hughes, you don't live in a sanitized room isolated from the world. You Any have doorknob stuff around that you, you touch has, has sh shit on it. Like yeah. it just... So it's not the doorknob. It's it's the state of your immune system in exactly. most cases. So look internally. What am I doing to my body to put myself at a disadvantage to fight the stuff I'm exposed to every day? And now I'm losing the battle. Yeah. So if you look at that and you learn from it, you immediately see like, it's funny, the more you tune in, the more you realize, oh, every time I start to have a period where I have more stress or more things going on with work or I'm sleeping less or I'm starting to rely on. And it's like this negative spiral because when you feel shitty, you eat worse foods, you sleep less, you depend, you look at social media more, you look for entertainment. To, you want things to make you happy, right? And um, I think it just takes away from the fact that we need to lean into when we're feeling sick and sleep more, eat less and eat better yeah right like reduce your stress load so don't take on things or, or don't make mountains out of molehills like look at your thinking patterns and you're right i think it's very powerful to just reflect on when you're sick do things be act like a healthy person do the big things well yeah and that'll be good enough to put you in a position to fight it instead of just saying oh i'm getting sick boohoo i yeah. just have to wait it out it's like yeah. well no you can take an active role exactly so anyway we hope that you know, today's episode helps simplify things for you with some helpful heuristics when it comes to health. You know, we talked about it before. To be healthy requires you to do requires you to do the right things the majority of the time, not to be perfect all the time. And, you know, um, to make things easy, I'll be putting all the stuff we covered today into a blog post that'll go onto TFC app so that I can act as an ongoing reference if anyone's interested. Uh, the app releases on November 1st when the content and the questions features are activated, which by the time this airs might actually be already uh, live. So thanks for listening. Have a great week and we'll catch you next week.